Thank you for downloading the weekly sermon from Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. To find more great content, please check out our website at trinityreformed.org. Enjoy the sermon. Well, get your smartphones, I'm resigned, and open them up (laughs) to our scripture text, which is Romans 15, verses 14 to 21. This is the word of God, and it is eternally true. And concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again, because of the grace that was given me from God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest the gospel of God, so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, in Christ Jesus, I have found reason for boasting in things pertaining to God. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and round about as far as Ilricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, They who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father, thank you. We give you praise that you have deigned to reveal yourself through the written word. We pray, Father, that you will give us Bible scholars and publishers who will stop pulling the politically incorrect words out of your scripture. We pray that you may give us in English a Bible that is trustworthy as the King James was in its time. Father, we don't take these words for granted. We, we come and we worship you by listening to these words preached. And so we ask together that the words of my mouth and all of our hearts, their meditations, will be acceptable in your sight, you who are our strength and our redeemer. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So you'll notice that there are 16 chapters in the book of Romans, and we're in chapter 15, we're about in the middle now, and so we're coming to the end. And if you remember, we've gone through the book of Romans, you'll remember that much of the first half, more than the first half, has been what we call doctrine. Uh, truth statements, truth explanations. Um, Then you know that we moved into what we call the ethical part. And you know that Pastor Baker is constantly saying to us that the Apostle Paul in his letters will start out with truth statements and then will lead you into things that you should do and ways you should behave and hearts you should have based on the truth that he's opened up to you. Okay, and we have specifically for a number of weeks been in the section 
where he's moved from doctrinal instruction, truth instruction, to ethical admonishment. (laughs) In other words, he's moved from this is how you should think to stop doing that. And you know that we're all tempted to take umbrage, to be resistant, to take offense when somebody tells us to stop doing something. It's one thing for truth to be opened up to us, you know, because you can sit there quietly and act as if, well, I already knew that. You know, if you ever talk to people that everything you say to them, they go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, Stephen does this to me sometimes. And, and after about five of them, I'll look at him and I'll say, Stephen, would you stop telling me I'm stupid? And Stephen, of course, is, is he can't understand that. I say, Stephen, everything I say to you, you tell me, yeah, I knew that already. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. Well, if you keep your mouth shut, people can think that you're in agreement on truth statements. They can think, you can get them to think that you knew that already. Now, by the way, Stephen is not telling me I'm stupid. Don't worry. Stephen and I have worked this out. It's just like, you know, if you were always taught... Well, anyhow. I will not try to get you to love me and what I said to Stephen. But when it comes to doctrine, it's not as offensive as the rebuke of behavior and attitudes. It's the rebuke and the correction of our behavior and attitudes where things get difficult, okay? I don't mean to say that the book of Galatians on the issue of circumcision wouldn't have been difficult for the people in Galatia to hear, and it's doctrinal. But there's an extra edge to somebody telling us to change what we're doing, how and to change how we're treating other people. And that's what the Apostle Paul has been doing. He has been telling them, no, bad. And why? Well, because they're divided. Because they're jealous, because they're fighting with each other. And so he says, stop it, (laughs) you know, stop it. And he's been saying that for quite a few verses now. You with me? And so what does he do? Well, the Apostle Paul stops it. He stops saying, stop it. And he begins to try to pacify them. He begins to try to get them to resent him less. You feel that. He says this, and concerning you, well, that's endearing. You know, he's giving you his attention. You don't like your dad when he yells from another room without even addressing you. Stop doing that, you know? But if he says, now concerning you, and he's looking in your eyes, and you know that you have his undivided attention, and it's like, that's why you were doing the bad thing anyhow, you know? You want his attention. Dad, here I am. The Apostle Paul says, concerning you, and then he says, my brethren... Now, the only people that say brethren anymore are bro, you know, blacks, and I don't know, there's, I had another one in the first service, but I can't, who? Yeah, the crumbs, that's true, that was the other group, you know, the crumbs brothers call each other brothers, you know, and blacks, anybody else? Who? 
Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he said my brother, and that's true. We call brothers brothers. Yeah. (laughs) Another one? Quakers? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. The Apostle Paul is using this word as a word of affection. He's speaking to them saying, you and I are brothers. And I keep emphasizing this. This is a very intimate thing, and it comes from the adoption of us as father by God. And so when he says to them, brothers, he is making a signal to them that they don't have a choice over whether or not they have a relationship with him. (coughs) I, I keep trying to emphasize the fact that if we give up the word brother, what we're giving, and and move to friend, all right? What we're doing is we're leaving behind the claim of permanent relationship that is in the word brother. You don't have a choice over your brothers. You're in the family. They're your brothers. You you don't have a choice. You either like them or you're, you're an idiot. You know what I'm saying? In other words, you better like your brothers because you're going to be with them until they die. And I will tell you, the older you get, the more you are committed to your brothers, the more they are your friends. Well, the apostle Paul isn't using the word that way. He's using the word to refer to those who belong to God who have been adopted as his sons. And the word son is used for both men and women in the New Testament, to refer to them being adopted sons of God. So a woman has, I mean, the significance of this is a woman has all the rights of a son, which at that time were very important when it came to inheritance, okay? Women are not second-class citizens in the church. They're sons of God. They've been adopted by God. And so the Apostle Paul comes along and he says, and concerning you, and he gives them his eyes, he gives them his attention, you, you, my So it's you and me, you, my brothers, my brethren, all right? I, myself, now, do you feel this? This is cloying. Do you feel it? It's like if somebody were saying this to you in front of you, you'd expect next he'd hug you. And concerning you, my brother, and I, myself, you know, it's back and forth. It's tight. It's like... Oh, no. And then he says this. He says, I myself also am convinced. Okay, concerning you, my brethren, I myself also am convinced that you yourselves, do you feel it? It's like intimate. It's tight. Am convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish each other. (gasps) The Apostle Paul is working hard to remove the offense of the things he's saying. He's gotten very personal. You and me and us and ourselves and yourself, and I'm convinced. And what am I convinced of? Well, I'm convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish each other, one another. Now, you get the point. It's like at this point, you'd think you're on Facebook. You know, and and somebody else is flattering you. You know, it's him and me, and goodness, and it's just 
Isn't it wonderful? And so when you read the commentators on this section, what they actually say is, it's not right to always be critical of other people. And they begin to defend what the Apostle Paul is doing here. People that have written 500 years ago, they begin to defend this. Why? Well, because it seems like it's flattery. It seems like the Apostle Paul is just trying to put his arms around us and hug us and make us feel good about ourselves. And so is it wrong for a shepherd to do that? And the answer is no, of course it isn't wrong. The Apostle Paul does it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So what justification does it have? Well, truth is its own justification. They were full of goodness. They were filled with all knowledge, and they were able also to admonish one another. And so the Apostle Paul isn't lying. The Apostle Paul is speaking truthfully to them. And he's telling them, don't be offended by me. Don't be irritated with me. I myself am convinced about these good things about you. And listen, this is exactly how we are supposed to live with one another. What a sweet community. When you can say about the people that they are filled with, he's convinced that the shepherd, I mean, you know, you can have a hired hand be convinced about good things about the cows. But when the farmer, who's there every single milking, he's the one that describes his cows to you, and you say, oh, please, don't call me a cow. And I say, okay, sheep. But it's going to be one or the other, cows or sheep. Sheep. Okay, sheep. You know, when the shepherd tells you the character and the gifts of his sheep, he knows his sheep. He knows them. And the Apostle Paul is telling us, and you say, well, the Apostle Paul had never been to Rome. And, and I say, yeah, there is that part. And you say, well, then how did he know what their character was like? Oh, my you know you can know the character of flocks, you know, when you're a shepherd. As a matter of fact, you can go into a church as a shepherd if you've had any years doing it, and <laughs> it doesn't take you long at all to know an incredible amount of things about that congregation. You all with me? It's like a guy that sells cars or works on them, you know. Um, we're not actually as unique as we think we are as, as congregations. Now, I want to look at this, and after we realize that the Apostle Paul realizes that he's out at the point of having them permanently resent him, and so he's trying to quell the, calm the waters, he's trying to get them to like him. And he's doing that by telling them the truth, and there's nothing wrong with a shepherd doing that. Okay? Imagine what it would be like to milk cows if you didn't feed them. <laughs> Ever thought about that? You know, mothers meditate on it with your children and your husband. The path to a man's heart lies. Through his... Ah, thank you, Don. Oh, my goodness. 
you'd think that you'd heard somebody say that women shouldn't speak in church. (laughs) All right, now, I want to go into these three things that he says about the Christians up there at the church in Rome. He says they're full of goodness, they're filled with all knowledge, and they're able also to admonish one another. And I would say this is sort of a pyramid. You start with goodness, their conduct is morally positive, good, godly. Then he goes to knowledge. And, you know, how do you get people to understand in our decadent day that goodness is not goodness if it it does not enlighten of knowledge. You cannot get away from knowledge. You have to have knowledge. And the only way to get knowledge is to work at it. You're not going to get it off of podcasts and social media and stuff like that. You have to know the Word of God, and then everything else you consume has to be in light of your knowledge of the Word of God. Okay? Um, Anyhow, he says, goodness filled with all knowledge. And then he says, able to admonish one another. And on my way over, it occurred to me that when he says able to admonish each other, it doesn't just mean that the people in the church were willing to, to, to admonish. They were willing to lovingly improve each other. That's what I was thinking it meant. But all of a sudden, on the way over, I thought about how the constancy in churches of people who have vowed that they'll submit to the elders. Just the first time you ever have to improve them, they just slap you, you know, the old, you know, the Will Smithing. You know, I told the first congregation that a lot of responses that the elders have gotten by people when they've first had to be admonished, I would prefer to be slapped by Will Smith, actually. That's how awful many responses are of people to the elders when the elders have to talk to them. I'm not talking about young people. (laughs) I'm talking about people who have been here for 20 years. And all of a sudden, sin comes out in the open. And it's like, oh my goodness. I never knew what was hiding under there. (laughs) You know? Now, it is true that young people have a certain... uh, Difficulty with admonishment, shall we say it like that. And why is that? Well, I think I I like to say to young people that you probably think that it's only young people that get admonished. (laughs) You're wrong. You're wrong. Life is just a series of admonishments. And about the time you think you don't need to be admonished anymore, then you get cancer. I was talking to a man with cancer this last week who is limited time left. I have several friends like that right now. And says asking him, you know, what his life is like now. And he said, you know, he said, I haven't thought much about change in my life. But now change has been given to me. This particular man can no longer drive. He can no longer read because of the way he has a a brain tumor. And so it's corrupted his ability to process things. He can talk, but he, and he was talking about what a radical change this is. 
And I was thinking the change of not being able to read, the change of not being able to drive, but then I realized that he was actually talking about the final change. He was actually talking about death. Now that's a change. One day you're living, and the next you're dead. There, there is no way for us to become holy and to become like Jesus without being admonished. There's no way. You know, I'm looking around and I'm thinking about you as I look at you. And I mean, honestly, how many of you could raise your hand and say, I've never admonished you? And if you put me and Jody and Stephen and Max together, I mean, betwixt the four of us, we've licked the platter clean. (laughs) And do you think for a second that Jody and Max and Stephen and me have not been rebuked and are not admonished? Those of you who are younger, please hear me carefully. You are not the sore thumb of the universe. You're just one more punk who needs to be admonished. And you say, he called me a punk. And I say, no, I wasn't calling you that. I was calling your brother that. (laughs) We go through life being improved by God, and God uses people to do it. And as you get older, instead of parents admonishing children, guess what? Children admonish parents. That's the way it works. You all realize this, right? And so parents, you better admonish your children nicely because pretty soon they'll admonish you the way you have admonished them. (laughs) And so if you have a habit of yelling at your children, you might want to rethink that habit. Now, What does it take for him to say about that church that they're full of goodness, that they're filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another? Well, yes, that means that we have to have the faith to admonish each other. And it does take faith. Why does it take faith? Well, it takes faith because often the people we admonish are not appreciative, (laughs) you know. They don't approve. They don't want to be admonished. And so it takes faith to admonish. But it's also true that when you're admonished, you should be thankful. And at this point, at 68 years of old, I just want to shoot myself. I feel exactly the same that I feel when I'm giving premarital counseling. Why am I doing this? It doesn't work. Premarital counseling never works. 
And so now the young pastors do it. <laughs> you know? Why, why am I saying it like this? Well, I'm saying it like this because when I first came to Bloomington, I came to a church that had no discipline. There was no discipline. There was no pastoral care. People showed up. People left. They had fellowship with each other. There was no pastoral care. And I thought, you know something? I told the elders that if I came, I was going to absolutely not stop enforcing pastoral care from the elders to the congregation and church discipline. And so I thought, you know, you can't just change a big congregation like that without changing expectations. If you don't meet the expectations of your congregation, then you're going to have conflict. And so I thought, the way to do this is to design a curriculum that will acclimate the new members to the admonishments of the elders, right? You all with me? You know, if you can acclimate, you tell, we're going to admonish you, just be prepared, all right? So I put this curriculum together, and I was so zealous to teach it. You know, teach them that to be loved in a church means the elders actually care for you, you know? And they will actually speak to you about problems you have and things you say that aren't right. You know, like... They will tell you abortion is wrong. You know, here's a radical idea. I mean, that's the level it was in that church. And so I was zealous, and I was careful, and I did it. And then I got fired four years later. And this church started, well, it wasn't for six months that I came to this church, but this church was committed to having admonishment. I mean, it was sort of the, the, the reason to exist of this church, right? We will have elders who shepherd the people. All right? But when they would admonish somebody lovingly, the response wasn't good. And yet, that's why we... And so then I would get up in front of the congregation and I would go through the vows for new members. We would have a new members class. We would have, and then in front of the congregation, I would stand there and I would say, do you promise to, da, 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 to submit to... Ba, 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 and they'd say, yes. And I'd look at them. And I had so much institutional memory. And I'd look at them. And so finally, I began to stop them. And I'd say, now, wait a second. Do you have any idea what you just said? And, and they would say, yes. I'd say, no, you don't. The first time the elders come to you, you're going to get angry. You just vowed you'd submit, but you won't. Well, it wasn't very long before I realized that it did not matter how much I said and when I said it and how much I repeated it, it was not going to go over. And so here I am, some idiot, talking to you about the importance of allowing people to admonish you, and I know it's not going to make any difference with you. except this. You know what characterizes this congregation? What characterizes this congregation is you admonish each other. You do do it. What the Apostle Paul says about the church in Rome is true of you.
As a matter of fact, if I were to single out the attribute of this congregation that is most precious to all of us on the Board of Elders, it is the fact that you accept admonishment. And you know I'm not lying to you. Because I can look in your eyes right now and you know that you have received it from the leaders of this church and from their wives. And you say, well, then why are you complaining about the fact that nobody ever accepts admonishment? Well, because I want you to realize this is no small gift to this church. And I want you to be zealous in protecting the gift. You have children who will and children who won't accept admonishment. And you know the grief it causes you when your children will not accept admonishment. I tell people sometimes about admonishment that I, I said this within the last two weeks to somebody. I say, you know, I can't even remember the sins of this congregation. I don't even remember them. If I stop and begin to try to remember your sins, you know, I'm, I'm doing this as I'm looking over the congregation. And it occurs to me as I'm saying this, sins I've forgotten of some of you. Okay? You haven't forgotten them. They're still technicolor in you, <laughs> you know? But I don't remember them. And you say, well, how can you say that when they're so clear to me? And here's the answer. I can say that because you accepted admonishment. Do you realize that your parents and your teachers and your pastors and elders and the older women of these church never remember your sins? And this is what God does. God forgets our sins. And then I always add to whomever I'm speaking to, I say, accept. If you refuse admonishment, and then we never forget your sin. Isn't that weird? You know, we remember your sin if you're proud and deny it. And isn't that a beautiful description of our Lord Jesus Christ? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But if we say we have no sin, we make him out to be a liar. And I think maybe God remembers when we call him a liar. <laughs> you know? And so listen, be very, very jealous to protect a spirit of humility in this church. Cultivate in yourself the knowledge that a church that loves you is going to say, hey, you might want to change the way you're thinking, or, hey, you might want to change what you're doing, you know? It's not a big deal. It's an admonishment. It is a very big deal 
when you stiff arm admonishment. Because our Lord said to his shepherds that he gave them the keys of the kingdom and that whatever they bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever they loose on earth shall be loosed in the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you something, and I say this at 68 years of old, I cannot believe the fearsome pride in the face of eternity that I have seen from some people who are no longer in this church. The elders can meet with them, can have a trial with them. They vowed to submit to the elders. They don't show up. And I'm sure in their brains what they think is, oh, those fuddy-duddies, what do they know anyhow? I don't care. I don't think they think about it any more deeply than that. I just think it's like those fuddy-duddies, I don't care, you know. They think that they cast it off lightly. What they don't realize is they took a vow. And God says that whatever is bound on earth will have been bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And I don't care who you are, you tell me that that's a light statement. (laughs) You know, you would much rather be standing before the Supreme Court of the state of Indiana than to even think about seeing the court of God. And so, one last warning and I'll move on. Many of you have escaped ever having any admonishment up till this point. Okay? You may be able to escape ever having your sins known in this church for 20 years. When those sins become known and you're admonished, you will show who you have always been. Do you understand me? If you have always been sympathetic to the people who fall into sin, when you fall, you will accept admonishment. But if in your heart you have always felt superior to the people that are admonished, when you're admonished, you will will break like a two-by-four. Because your whole life you've been proud, you've justified yourself, You've been self-righteous. You've looked down your nose at other sinners. And so when it comes to you needing to be supple and to give, as you take a blow, you will show that there is no give in you. And that's not good. I'm going to tell you a story. There were a couple in this church who absolutely adored me. They thought the world of me. And so 
Of course, I thought the world of them. It was a mutual admiration society. <laughs> you know? They thought I was intelligent, and I thought they were intelligent to think I was intelligent. <laughs> now, I could, I could go into details. I'm mocking myself, not them. But anyhow, they were here for quite some time. And the man had a very serious sin. And he got the most loving and tender care. I mean, he got loving and tender care. The most tender care he got was from me. Well, you say, well, yeah, you're, you know, you have to do that. No, no, I actually did love him. But the, you know the other person that gave him the most loving and tender care? You ready for this? Do you have your hearing aids on, Mike? You have your hearing aids on? Mike Bowles was the other man who gave him the most tender love in the midst of his sin. You heard that. Last time I mentioned him, he didn't have his hearing aids turned up. (laughs) Now, we all know Mike. And if I tell you that Mike Bowles loved this man and cared for him tenderly, That's pretty intense, isn't it? Well, this man was not willing to repent. You know, he'd say he was repenting, he wouldn't repent. He'd say he was repenting, he wouldn't repent. And so what this man would do is this man would, after a while, his sins were just so technicolor that he would take his family and leave the church. Go to another church, you know? And... uh, He did this a couple of times. One of the times, I would still have lunch with him every week, (laughs) you know? And finally, I've told you about him before. He'd sit there, and he'd say to me, hey, you know, my my pastor doesn't know how to preach. And do you have any advice for me about how I can help my pastor preach? And I'm sitting there thinking, am I insane or is he insane? (laughs) You know? And so I try to be encouraging, and, you know, maybe you could subtly suggest this or this, 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 you know. This went on for quite some time, and sadly, we were not, you know, he came back to the church with his family, and sadly, we weren't making progress with him. And so the elders talked about him in a meeting, and the elders decided that what needed to happen is this man needed to not be able to yank his wife and children around from this church to that church to the other church. Are you with me? It had nothing to do with our failures. It had to do with him wanting to go where they didn't know about his failures, right? And so the elders talked about it, and from their love for this man and his wife and his children, the elders made the decision that they were going to send two of their elders to talk to the wife, and to say to the wife, we think that you should join this church. We think that you should make a commitment to this church. She had not joined the church to that time. She'd been here a number of years. She hadn't joined. And they were to explain to her that the reason they felt she should join the church is that her children really needed to be enfolded with other children their age, to be cared for, to be loved, and not to be bounced around. 
And we felt that she needed to make a commitment here, even if her husband bounced around, the children needed to be secure and safe. Now, that could have been another church, you understand. The issue is not that this is the only church they could be safe in. The issue is they shouldn't be bouncing. Are, are you with me? Now, we then sent two elders to talk to this mother. Some of you don't know our elders. Many of you do. Do you know what two elders we sent? We did not send Tim Bailey. And we did not send Jeff Moore. Are you with me? You know, we sent Tim Wigner and Wayne Hook. You get it. I mean, nobody can complain about Tim Wagner and Wayne Hook not being the most tender, gentlemanly, kind, meek. You know, we chose the meekest, sweetest elders we could. And so they went and did what the elders asked them to do. And it was no secret, no apologies to the husband. We were very intimate with the husband. He knew the reason for it. About a year later, we had a Good Friday service. And Good Friday is a very heavy service because it's on the substitutionary atonement. It's on Jesus dying for me. And when it was over, for some reason, I saw this woman and I thought to myself, just out of nowhere, Friday afternoon at about 1.30, I thought to myself, she's never joined the church. I thought, are you kidding me? Wayne and Tim went to her, and she's not joined the church. You know, I was like, my brain was like incomprehending that anybody would say no to such a natural right thing when Tim and Wayne say it to you. You know, Tim and Wayne. All right. So I went up to her and I said, let's say her name is Jane Doe. I said, Jane. Now remember, she thought I was wonderful. I thought she was wonderful. She thought I was brilliant. I thought she was brilliant. Okay? No prior history. And so I went up to her. I said, Jane, I said, I was just thinking about it, and you've, you've never joined the church, have you? She says, no. And I said, but Tim and Wayne talked to you about it, didn't they? Yeah. And I sensed a bit of steel. I was coming up against steel, you know? And so I said to her, well, why not? Why haven't you? And she said, are you ready for this? She said, because I don't respect the elders. And I was like, I couldn't believe it. I thought I was talking 
And so I said, I said, of course, what any idiot would say, it's not difficult to be a pastor. I said, why not? I mean, that's what all of you would say, right? <laughs> why don't you respect the elders? And then I said, like who? Give me a name, <laughs> you know? And she said, Adam Spadey. And my brain's like exploding. I'm thinking, well, you cannot like Adam. I mean, I wouldn't blame anybody that said I don't like Adam. You know, I don't like Tim Bailey. I'm Tim Bailey. I don't like Tim Bailey, <laughs> you know. But she said she didn't respect Adam. And so that's when I said, why? You know, but I said it very calmly, very gentlemanly. Why? Now, you want to take a guess? She said, because he's too young. So she says she doesn't respect the elders as a group. I ask her to single it out. She singles out Adam Spadey. I ask her why, and she says, because he's too young. Now, any of you with half a brain know that it's a pack of lies on every level. Our elders are respectable. That's the reason you have chosen them and you have put them in office. All right? And you know that of the elders that you could single out to not respect, almost nobody would select Adam Spadey. All right, you all with me? And if you were to try to come up with a reason to not respect Adam Spadey, you'd never come up with the fact that he's too young. I mean, Adam was born an old man. <laughs> now, what was going on there? Well, you all know what was going on there. This was someone who was very proud and who was not, capital N, not going to submit to authority. Do you understand that? It's just somebody who won't submit to authority. All of us have no trouble understanding that because all of us are the same way. You know, it's like, ask me what I think of authority and be a police officer catching me speeding. And you'll find out. You know, after I talked about this the last time, John, who is a local police officer until this week or last week or next week or I don't know when. I think he's done. But John said that when he first started working uh, in the police force for Bloomington, that he wanted, uh, he wanted overtime. Well, if you do overtime, what you have to do is you have to give tickets for, to people for not wearing their seatbelt. And so he spent his time giving tickets for not wearing seatbelts. And he said it was mind-boggling. He said the best citizens were the ones that were most disrespectful and angry when he stopped them and gave them seatbelt. He said it was mind-boggling. He said the anger and the obnoxious abuse he took as a police officer for giving people tickets for, seat, for not wearing their safety belts, he said he could not tolerate it. He said one time it was this older man, and I'm sitting there listening to John. <laughs> 
And I'm thinking, you know, I resemble this implication. <laughs> you know, I finally had the faith to tell him that I thought maybe I would have been that way. You know, I've never gotten one for seatbelt, but if somebody gave me a, a ticket for not wearing a seatbelt, And so you know what John did? He walked off the job. And he's never done it again. He said, they can't pay me well enough to give these tickets, you know. It's so awful. Do you know that in a very short time, they left the church? And when they left, ever since, they've been telling people that the reason they left was that the elders were telling the wife to divorce her husband. Okay? You all with me? And you know that's a pile of hooey. It was because of our love for the husband and for the wife, and for the children, that we were trying to bring order to their lives. Help. I would guess that about once a year, there is an excommunication in this church. I think that that would be accurate. I'm looking around for an elder. David, would you say that about once a year? Give or take. And so, trust me, people, it is not that the elders feel superior to you. But sometimes you do things that are harmful to your children, to your wife, to your husband. Sometimes your sin becomes visible. And shepherds have to deal with a sheep that's straying. That's what it means to go out and find the one who's lost. And it's the proof of the shepherd's love, just like a father. A father doesn't love you until a father spanks you. And you say, well, are you, you spank people? I say, no, we don't spank people. For heaven's sakes, can you even imagine Wayne Hawk, Tim Wagner? And so the apostle Paul says to them, that they are most excellent. Why? Because they are what? Full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. And then he admits, I have written you very boldly. And I just love that, you know. He's been bold. You know, in other words, yeah, I've come to the edge with you. You know, I've been bold with you, you know. But I mean, for heaven's sakes, aren't teachers at times very bold with us? Aren't our father sometimes, our mother sometimes, our older brother? I mean, we all get bold with each other now and then. And the thing I like to remind you of is that the Apostle Paul, when he's asking the Ephesians to pray for him, he twice in a short section says, pray that all be bold. Pray that I preach with all boldness as I ought to. And so boldness is the first thing you want in a shepherd. You don't want a shepherd that you have wrapped around your little finger because you give a lot of money. 
I mean, how pathetic that that's what so many churches are today. You know, the pastor has a special relationship with somebody with deep pockets. And so he never rebukes him. Your pastor should have his most intense rebukes with the men who are richest in the church. And then you think, that's good. Another thing, when you have children and they grow up, I'm telling you, those children are going to show your sins to the whole community. And you will no longer be able to hide it. Okay? We have a pastor taking care of our youth. His name is Phil Moyer. And we tell Phil, you are not a pastor to the youth. You are a pastor to their parents. <laughs> you know, because all of a sudden, all the sins of you as parents are dumped on Phil. They're, they're like so obvious to Phil. And he's going to come for you. <laughs> and that's good. And why am I talking like this? I'm doing it to plead with you to allow your children to show your sins so that you can be improved. You say, well, yeah, but you just do that with some people, but you don't do it with all people. I say, well, Taylor and Reza came and visited us a couple days ago. And oh boy. I gave them a talking to. Mary Lee, tell them it's true. Yeah, poor kids. (laughs) You know, I didn't like the way their children were treating them. You know? David, Jill, you know what I'm talking about. You know, you sit there watching your grandchildren and you think, (laughs) yikes, you try to bite your tongue, leave the room, leave the house. (laughs) You know, you try to do anything. Listen. The Apostle Paul gives a wonderful compliment when he says, able also to admonish one another. Then he says, I've written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. And so he's reiterating himself. I tell you, he does this all the time. But he says, it's because of the grace of God at work in me. He's not saying he's anything special. People that admonish you aren't trying to say they're special. They don't feel special when they admonish you. You don't treat them special. All right? It's from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And they are Gentiles. You know, that's what Rome Church was filled with. Ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, listen to me. I don't have any time left, but I want to make this point. Many of you have grown up in churches that are low church, not high church, all right? And many of you growing up in evangelical churches, Baptist churches, Presbyterian, Southern Presbyterian churches, as you've grown up, have felt that there's something missing from worship, all right? Worship seems to be Boring, disconnected from real life, sentimental, rote. And many of you, when you come alive in Christ, you think to yourself, 
I'm done with that. All right? And you make the mistake of looking for something more in worship. Okay? And the something more that you look for in worship is what my dad used to call bells and smells. You want something, and I'm not using the word in a pejorative way, you want something ancient. You want something with uh, incense. You want something with fuddy-duddy words that you don't understand because they feel so holy to say them. You want something that reminds you of your roots in England. You might not be able to afford a Harris Tweed with elbow patches, but you sure as heck can get a pastor who will put on a robe and a stole and have a cross and ring bells and light candles. Right? Are you with me? And it feels spiritual. It feels religious. It feels like it has the weight that has some approximation to the weight you feel standing before a holy God. Are you with me? Any of you going to cop to that? Okay, Phil says yes. And so what you will do is you will go into a sacerdotalist church. And sacerdotalist is sacred do. So it's a sacerdotalist is somebody that does the sacred. But the connotation in English is always priestly. So when I say sacerdotal, what I mean is priestly. Are you with me? And so you want the accoutrements of sacerdotalism. Now, you all understand this. You want the trappings of priesthood, all right? And so what you want to do is you want to see the Lord's table as being the center of worship. And you don't refer to it as a table, but as an altar. You call it an altar. And you want the priest behind the table, and you want a doctrine of real presence. And you want to do it every week. And really, you don't care about the sermons because the whole reason that you feel empty after spending your life in low churches is that there has been no preaching. And so what you do is you focus on the liturgy and you focus on the bells and smells and it just feels so, so wonderful. You replace the preaching of God's word in power with the Holy Spirit with bells and smells and sacerdotalism and robes and stoles and and jewelry and majestic anglophilic music and, and an organ. And it just feels more divine. You with me? No, don't do it. In the Old Testament, there were priests. 
In the Old Testament, there were sacrifices. In the Old Testament, there was what somebody once said, and it's accurate, there was a riot of blood. The animals never stopped dying, and the priests never stopped killing and burning them. Are you with me? That is the type. And the type points to the anti-type. And the anti-type is our Lord Jesus Christ. What a Roman Catholic priest does is sacrifice the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. That is the essence of the priesthood. And that is the reason when you go in a Roman Catholic church, you don't hear a sermon. And I've been there. I've done it multiple times. There's never anything approximating a sermon. The best you're going to get is a homily. It's going to be 12 minutes, 10 minutes, 8 minutes, 6 minutes, 5 minutes, 15 minutes. But it is not going to be the opening of God's very word to you in such a way that it breaks your heart and causes you to repent and to believe. Instead, the center of the worship is the sacrifice of Christ on the altar. Is that what the Apostle Paul is referring to here? And you say, what do you mean? I say, well, where in the New Testament would you go to find any indication that a pastor is a priest? Well, here it is. Did you hear it? He says, to be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering as a what? As a priest. The gospel of God. He doesn't say ministering as a priest, the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Now, you can say, well, yeah, but that's what's implied in the gospel of God. No. Rome sacrifices literally the body and blood of Christ. That's their claim. That's the meaning of transubstantiation. All the Old Testament sacrifices, all the dead animals, all the priestly trappings were pointing to Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And his sacrifice is once. Once. It's once and done. It doesn't continue. You cannot get it more firmly into your mind than it is said in Hebrews. And this is what Hebrews says about this sacrifice. This is Hebrews 7, beginning with verse 23. Listen to it. The former priests, Old Testament priests, the former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers. How many priests in the Roman Catholic Church are there? Tons. Okay. The former priests, on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. (laughs) They all died. You had to keep replacing them. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, 
You know, oh, is that beautiful. He's not dead. And so he ever lives to give intercession for us. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him. He's our priest. Since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was fitting for us to have such a high priest. Holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. Who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people because this he, past tense, did once for all when he offered up himself. Listen, people, a lot is at stake with the church you choose. And if there is no trust in the word of God, there will be trust in sacramentalism. And people will choose their church based on how often they get to eat the body and blood of Christ. And if that's how you choose a church, you are a sacerdotalist, you are a sacramentalist. And what matters to you is the priesthood and the sacrifice of the priesthood. But that displaces the honor of Jesus Christ. It displaces the honor. And if you look at what the Apostle Paul is actually saying here, what he says is, to be a minister of Christ to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest, the gospel of God. What is he ministering? He's ministering the gospel of God. He's preaching. So that my offering of the Gentiles, how have the Gentiles come to faith? They've come to faith by the preaching of the gospel. So that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. He's not talking about sacrificing Christ. He's not copying a posture as a sacerdotalist, as a priest. He's saying that his sacrifice, and you think about what the Apostle Paul sacrificed. Think of that list. You know, I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been left for dead. I've been stoned. I've been, you know, it goes on and on. He placed himself on the altar of God as a what? Uh, You ready? A living sacrifice. And he did it so that he could present obedient Christians to God. And he poured his life into the churches so that the people would believe and obey. The obedience of faith. And so that's the reason at the beginning of Romans 12, it says what? It says, are you ready? Okay, I'm brilliant. It says, I what? Come on, homeschooling mothers. Come on. Come on, I what? Anybody know it? David, you know it. I bes- bes- 
beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, what? A living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which, I love that, you know, which is your reasonable service, (laughs) you know? It's like, it's reasonable for you to do this. Look what he's done for you. It's reasonable. It's your reasonable service. Give him your body as a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed. I mean, our children don't know this by heart. Be not conformed to this world, but be by the renewing of your mind so that you learn discernment. Do not ever, ever, ever underestimate or demean the necessity of sitting under the preaching of the word. That is the power of God today. And so, as you have a new pastor take over, you make sure you honor the preaching of the word. I don't care if you like Jody or not. I don't care if you like me or not. I mean, I I like to be liked. You all know that about me. Jody will handle it better if you don't like him than I have. (laughs) You know? But honor the preaching of God's word. Don't go straying into people that offer the sacraments to you. The sacraments are important. We're about to go to the Lord's table. And it communicates true grace to you. And yes, it's best when it's done every week. But not because we believe in the priesthood, not because this is an altar, and not because we wear robes and have smells and bells. No. Once he completed the sacrifice, and now he ever lives to make intercession for us, and that's our priest. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your Son, and we pray that we might be living sacrifices in his honor and to his glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.